Hey, welcome to the Tuesday Night Music Show. With, it's different uh, tonight. Meet me and my 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 uh, partner tonight, Jay Brennan. How he may pop in later, I'm not sure what he's up to, but uh, we're here. So hi, How I'm hiding. <laughs> we, we've got Jimmy in here with us tonight too, and he's a good guy to have in here with us tonight. I was thinking about some stuff last night. I I mentioned it to some of the guys off air. And that was a question that I get quite a bit about what it was like to DJ in the 1980s. Some people want to know. Some people either weren't DJing in the 1980s or they weren't born yet. And since I did do this, um, and they are asking me. And you know how a... um, a recording artist does like a demo tape and then they take that demo into the studio and they make it you know better <laughs> we're going to call this the demo tape i might do this video later on my channel but i thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about this a little bit in the chat aaron if you could be so kind as to turn your camera off because otherwise you're turning up on the uh recording cool all right so jay you were not djing in the 1980s Nope. But you have input tonight. I know you all. Uh, Jimmy, you were DJing in the 1980s. Yep. So you got input here. So the one thing I was thinking about, and, you know, a lot of people want to know about the gear, the equipment. I mean, that's the first question they're going to ask. And we can talk about turntables and records and passive systems and amplifiers and things like that that's probably the first thing we should talk about but we don't need to spend a lot of time on it because there's more to talk about than that to really understand what was going on so records that was a thing that was the main thing that we used back then how many crates did you bring with you on a typical gig well we had one really big crate that we'd bring and it had it was, it was large. I mean, it was probably a 60-pound crate. It wasn't a normal milk crate. It had a section in it, probably about, I don't know, maybe that wide for 12 inches and things that you needed. And then there were, like, two rows of 45s in there, too. Like, long rows of 45s. Yep. And the reason that we had 45s was because you couldn't always get the radio version of a song on the 12 inch. Mm-hmm. The 12 inch would have like remixes on it or extended mixes. And that's not always what you wanted to play for your audience. The only people who really had those 12 inches with the radio versions on them were the radio stations who got the promos. And I do have some of those now, but at the time I had no access to them. Well, remember we were playing for music. We were paying for music full price back then so right. i mean a, a 12 inch was close to five bucks yeah, anywhere five from 3.99 to five dollars or right? more yeah or more if you're doing imports where you could get you know pop hits on a 45 for 99 cents yeah it was a buck yeah buck 50 max we had a story so, here songs that you knew you had to play but you just you weren't into it so you got the 45 and you were good there was also the availability thing because Mm -hmm. you couldn't just buy anything the 45s typically at most stores were only what was on the charts we did have a a store here in milwaukee called mean mountain music that had back issue 45s and they would order things for you if you needed them Um, so yeah i mean there was that and and if you couldn't for some reason bring the record or have the record sometimes you ended up with the cassette (laughs) supplement that was the thing there was the halogen lighting that was different than the led lighting we have now because of the you know the heat that the halogen puts off i kindly recall them i call them egg cooker lights yeah, and and you would have to turn the light show off probably 20 minutes to a half an hour before you disassembled it because it was just too hot. Yeah. And when you walked into a venue as a mobile DJ, and this was through the 90s too, even through the early 2000s, 
before I had LED anyway, you, when you went into a venue, you looked for a wall with two separate power outlets, hoping that they were on different breakers because otherwise you, you could pop something because of the power draw from the, the old school amplifiers plus that halogen lighting. So, you know, not an issue now. You can plug everything into one usually. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of how it physically worked. But what I thought would be interesting to talk about was kind of the overall culture of what was going on at the time to really get an idea of who we were playing for and why we were playing what we were playing. And this is where I thought Jay could jump in and unmute his microphone and feel like he was a part of the conversation. I almost feel sorry for him because he, he just... Uh, Feels like he's left out in the cold in this one. Well, I thought I thought you were going to mention something that I learned from the DJs that trained me in the '90s were all vinyl guys. Uh huh. And one of the things that people couldn't understand about my sorting order was I learned from those guys. So they tended to go in sections. Like yeah. here's my dance section. Here's my rock section. Right. And then once we were burning CDs. I learned super quick from vinyl guys. Oh, make one CD with Megadeth, Frank Sinatra, Benny Goodman, Aerosmith, Peter Frampton, and Casey and the Sunshine Band. I'm like, why? Well, because then on the other CD, because you put two in a jewel case, yep. then you can do these. Because the first CD I ever burned, I burned all the songs I wanted, like 20 songs in order. Right. And went to play it that night. I'm like... How am I going to mix track two with track one? Right. Um, so then I decided I would start doubling them. But this in the late nineties, CDs were expensive. Well, that and relative. So you didn't have time to change the CD so much. No. So you had. So to, that's you why to you staggered your you staggered your stuff. So you didn't have to load, unload, load, unload, load, unload. You'd put yeah. different kinds of stuff. Right. So I together. always knew in yeah. a in a sea of white in a huge yeah. Um, case logic wooden case with four racks of CDs and they were in the yep. paper jewels. I mean, I always knew like, oh man, where's that Frank Sinatra, you know, the way you look tonight. Oh, hold on. It's going to be right here. People were astonished. I'm like, yeah, vinyl guys taught me that because they would have just a black cover, but have to know what was there and where it was in the sequence. Yeah. No, know? that was important. So you, you could build, you know, like if you had a an event coming up where they wanted rock for instance if they they wanted rock you would make two cds of rock so you could bounce between the cds instead of just one cd of rock that would be the way to go right you had to do it that way yeah and and you know with records it was different i mean either you had the single sometimes you ended up with the whole compilation <clears throat> but i mean like if you ended up with a frank sinatra's greatest hits you typically weren't playing two frank sinatra songs in a row it was okay yeah, you, you had could, to break you, it up. You could break it up with, with other things, you, with the Glenn Miller or with a uh, Louis Armstrong or whatever the case might be. But, you know, the, the one thing that I think that is important to talk about to really fully understand what it was like to DJ in the 80s is the overall culture of the 80s. And first things first. Yeah, you had to buy your own music, but understand you could not do this digitally because... The internet wasn't around like you know it today. I remember there was this one kid in school who had a computer with a modem and he would talk to other computers. Yeah. So you couldn't call him that night because he was tying up the phone line. I don't know yeah. what he was talking to the other computer about or yeah. what they were doing, but that was for geeks. That wasn't for like everyday message boards. Yeah. They were, they were old message boards. But it was, it was put the telephone down you get into the cups yeah and you dial in an old message i did that but what i'm saying is, is that not everybody did that and if you did there was nothing in there that a dj would probably be too interested in it was nope. it was geeky stuff it was a lot of computer talk and you were it, it just wasn't like the internet you know now right and nobody had mobile phones so you had to like make plans. If you wanted to call somebody on the phone, they better be home. Otherwise, you're not going to get them. We take a lot for granted. I mean, I lost power for three hours tonight and couldn't get on Facebook to see why I lost power because my dad is crappy here. Could only message you guys to say I might be late. 
couldn't send text. They were going through his SMS and not iMessage. Uh-huh. And you just, you suddenly are like, this is, shouldn't be a big deal having no power for three hours, but it suddenly becomes a big deal because we're so accustomed to it. And I think, you know, it's cute now to see DJs go vinyl and be like, man, I'm going to go back to vinyl. It's like, I, that's awesome. But you have to understand you're going back to vinyl with a huge advantage that didn't exist when people did vinyl. It's not the same thing. You're I don't right. pretend that having Serato DJ and two tone pieces of vinyl is the same as you having to gamble on, man, I hope this single kills Friday night. I'm spending five bucks on it. And I'm making, I mean, what'd you make at a club on a Friday in the eighties? Oh, in the eighties. Jesus. I mean, I didn't do clubs in the eighties. I was doing skating rinks in the eighties. And what then did I did the skating stuff. You? Oh, the skating rink. It was just a minimum wage job. You know, it's, it was nothing. So like four or five bucks an hour. If. You know, I was so doing a little better. I was making anywhere from mm, thirty to fifty, but but I did that tape thing. You, right, you right. supplemented it with mixtapes. But I'm yeah. saying, so you could, in all reality, because my very first DJ job, I got thirty-two dollars a night. That's what mm-hmm. they paid. They paid yep. independent contractor, and then you got tipped out by the staff. Right. But it was more than conceivable on a bad night that you could spend that much the next day on music. Oh, absolutely. How much did Porsche tip you? You know, on a good night in 97, on a, on a good night, Jimmy, honestly, I could leave with 500 bucks. There you go. And, on, and a bad right. night would be like 100. And that would be a 6 to 2 a.m. shift. So it was, mm-hmm. you know, eight hours. But, you know, the view was great. <laughs> without internet, without phone, and those sorts of things, people were socially uh, very uh, geared very different. So instead of going on some uh, organized chat or message thread where everybody decides they're going to meet somewhere or just have a conversation in general, you went somewhere every week to see people. I know in my world, it was a skating rink, it was a club, it was something to that nature. Mm-hmm. You kind of knew who to expect to see there when you went there. Right. It's a bit like coming into the chill room. It's the regular nights. You know, certain yeah. people are here certain nights. Yep. Absolutely. So you come, it's kind of like how it was. That was you know, you would go out. The other thing that I think is really interesting to to bring up is just how fast things were changing. Yeah. You had music that was changing very fast. The music of 1983 sounds very different from the music of 1987. Oh, yeah. And, and I think one of the big reasons for that was there was all this technology that was coming out. So let's not forget the M, the T, and the V. That was catapulting. I'll get to that. I'll get oh, to that. Okay. I'm getting okay. to that. The, the, the music itself, though. The music was different because you had all these different technologies coming out. You had 808 drum machines. You had Fairlight CMIs with the 8-bit sampler. Then you had a better sampler. Then you had a limb drum. And then you had all these effects that were coming out. And people were trying new things with these samples and with these effects to, to create these brand new sounds. So not only did you have music that always sounded different, but you had music that had sounds that you'd never heard before in a way you'd never heard them before. And, and this is not hating on new music, but it's really hard to tell a song from 20 years ago. That is uh, now they all kind of sound about the same auto tunes there. It's they're They're, they're rapping on it. it. It's, it doesn't progress like it used to. The eighties were incredibly progressive in that matter, in that, that regard with styles of music, with, the sounds that you were hearing in the music and no two songs sounded exactly the same. The, the sampled orchestral stab. Yes. That there was, you go. I was a geek for that. Yeah. Art of Noise did it. Yes, did it. Yep. Uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis did it. And mm-hmm. I think that was primarily Fairlight stuff they were all using for that. The CMI, which was the first music computer. Yeah. TV Wonder had one. You know, ZZ Top used it. Pet Shop Boys used it. A lot of people used it. And then the 808, I mean, that was loose ends. And even now, I mean, people use the 808 drum machine or 
808 drum machine emulator on their computer. The 808, the 909, um, the 303 um, rhythm composer, synth bass. Yeah. The Lindrum was always my favorite. I thought the Lindrum was the coolest sound. Lindrum was a heavy duty machine, man. Well, that that was like Prince. Everything like 1989 is a Lindrum album, and so is Purple yeah. Rain. A lot of it. It was a, a heavy sounds. duty machine. You got to see that thing. It's huge. Uh, yeah, I mean the 808 was smaller in comparison, but it yeah, was, it was in a big rack and had wood sides on it and all that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean all these new sounds that we'd never heard of were coming out and the drum machines didn't sound like real drums. They sound a little different. Now a drum machine sounds like a live drum kit. You can't distinguish it uh, as far as tone goes from a a live drum kit. Back then it sounded very uh, digital. (laughs) You have to, um, you have to thank um, Yamaha for that. They're the ones that, that got the whole thing with the sampling of um i think it's an fm sine wave well the sampling uh, just got better and the better yeah. the sampling got the, the less magical in my ears it got yeah a uh, lot of original material the samples that you heard weren't samples that you were necessarily always familiar with so now when you hear a sample it's from a song from the 80s or the 70s or whatever but back then, the samples were like old jazz samples that no one yes. knew. They were obscure. They were weird. And that, you know, yeah. like orchestral stab, like you're talking about. But uh, the other thing that was always constantly changing was fashion. Yeah. And I know that, you know, if you went to school one year wearing the same stuff you were in the year before, people noticed. Would they notice today? If you were wearing something that you wore last year, it's it's kind of the same uniform, and it's been the same uniform for a very long time. So, so you know, with music and fashion, the eighties were very progressive. They were they were moving along. Things were happening. Where that's not so much the case now. The group so, ABC comes to mind. What about? When I think of fashion and. I don't know. They just seemed to, they were, they did the androgyny thing. Oh, and, a lot of bands did that. Duran yeah. Duran, Spandau Ballet, Johnny Hates yeah. Jazz. I said it the other night and I still stand by it. We cared how we looked in the 80s, unlike today. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, it's not an arguable point. It's a feeling and an opinion that I stand behind. The 80s, it was a men and women were running down the same pathway of, trying to look cool, big hair, a lot of hair product, spiking stuff, using Awa Pui from John Mitchell and, or Paul Mitchell. And, yep. you know, constantly there was a lot of access to fashion, that too. But I think it came down to the music was part of the scene. Yes. Whereas today it's not. Everybody, everybody that, that had a skinny leather tie, raise your hand. I had about nine oh, of them. No, I had one. Sure. I had nine of them. Thank I you. Pink, blue, red, black, yep. white. Did you have the one green. with the piano? Pat no, I never a... got that one. Yeah, Did you ever have the double piano. belt? Do you have the belt that went through and then had the second belt that came around? Mm-hmm. No. Spike belt. I want, like I told you last night, I'm not man enough to admit it. 1986, my sister's like, what do you want for your birthday? I'm like, a pink lizard belt like tubs. Nice. I yeah, was Jay, was, Jay was doing the whole Miami Vice thing. Yeah, I got into it, but it was a that's good right. look. I'm that's sorry, f- it looked cool. The white jacket, the t-shirt, you get into a Ferrari Daytona. Like, what's not to like about that? I, I did a modified version of that. Um, oh, I've seen I, the pack. I, no, 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 no. I, I used to have a, um, I had a white Kung Fu gi, and I used to wear the muscle t-shirt underneath it. You know, the tank top, Yeah. you know, usually some bright Caribbean blue or purple or something that was striking against the white. I I think it's because the 90s came in so, so kind of plaid and dark and dingy because we were so pastel in the 80s. Well, the 90s 
in that regard didn't happen until 92 in my world. Well, in, in my world, 90s sort of started breaking because by eight, late 80s, I was more metal than I was clubby. And the thing I wanted to say earlier was what always astonished me looking back on the 80s was the 80s ability, and this is credit to remixers, to take bands that were, I'll use level 42. They're a jazz band. Mm-hmm. No matter how you look at the instrumentation, the cording, everything about it is very jazz driven. But yet we're out at clubs dancing to remixes of something about you. You know, you say the same yeah. thing about Herbie Hancock. But that's what I mean. You know, like, it, I don't I don't see that today as much. I don't see Drake songs. And if I do, it's the difference in technology where the the artist is given stems like here's the vocal here's the bass here's the drum here's the guitar here's this yeah and then they mess with it and throw a beat and we're done it's our music was so much more creative in the 80s and year to year forget 84 or 83 to 87 year to year i mean going from the waitresses and tommy two-tone in the early 80s and more of the punky stuff like the cars to suddenly mid eighties being knee deep in Duran Duran and Thompson twins and ABC. Right. And then out of nowhere, suddenly you hear the Smiths, how soon is now? And it's like, music was a delight. And it was a decade of music that you kept finding new things and you kept being excited. Cause you oh, yeah. well, it, it was just constantly evolving. It yeah. was it was evolutionary in that regard where it was always changing where it doesn't do that so much now. No. Things kind of are and and you know there's I, a I formula believe, today Brian there's a formula. Well, I believe I know why. And and I'm not hating on today. I don't I didn't want this to be a now versus then thing. I want Here comes to the, here comes the cane. No, I'm trying to get rid of the cane. I don't want oh, this okay. to be now versus then. I just want to explain what it was. Okay. Uh the uh, yeah, the cane is the opposite thing. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. No, I think the reason that things are maybe less progressive now than they were is because of social media, where we had a thing in the 80s that we referred to as high fashion. And it was these crazy outlandish runway outfits that you would see that no one would wear. It was over the top. I mean, Jimmy knows because Jimmy's an artist. It was just kind of a conceptual direction of things. It was lines. It was shapes. It wasn't necessarily these items of clothing, but this is the direction that some of these designers wanted to go, and they were going outrageous with it. Who owned zipper pants? What would would come out was toned down from that. It was a watered-down, toned-down version of that. Today, if you show something high fashion on social media, it gets bashed as ugly and disgusting. Right. And anything that even kind of looks like that goes away. So we go back to jeans and T-shirts. <laughs> it's just what well, it is. Yeah. And, I, and it's we've gotten slacky and lazy about it. I mean, Jimmy, you ever seen the movie Paris is Burning? Yeah. Okay. Have you, Brian? Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, that's a, that's a good look at a scene in the 80s of where fashion met dance met a community that was underprivileged in their exposure downtrodden put away and yet thrived in the underground scene i i look around now and try to find the underground scenes and it Mm. seems as though there really aren't the underground scenes because everything underground is like you say on social media and now the access to it people are driven by opinions like well, if Kim Kardashian yeah. comes out tonight and says, I like the new Drake album, you don't think you're going to see a spike in sales? It's interesting that you bring that up because I was thinking about the scenes as well, where you had local scenes. You had a Minneapolis sound. You had a New York sound. Several different things were going on in New York. You had Miami. L.A. had stuff going on. All of these places Philly. had something going on regionally. Yeah. Detroit. You name it. Something was going on no matter where you went. And then you had the homogenized thing that was MTV. That was the staple. So you go back and you think about your local scene. You think about the radio that's, that's happening in your local scene. 
your radio was playing the MTV stuff that everybody kind of knows because everybody gets MTV and it's good stuff. But then you have your, whatever your local scene happens to be, that's also influencing your radio and you musically. So if you're in Chicago, for instance, you're listening to house, a lot of house, and maybe later on some techno stuff. But interestingly enough, 80 miles north here in Milwaukee, we weren't because it was so regional. It didn't always go beyond. There was no way for it to do that. Excuse me. Like today with social media, you could do that. You could introduce other places to what you're doing. Seattle had a scene and, you know, became the grunge thing in the 90s. Before that, it was different. Seattle was like heart and things of that nature. But then it changed. Queens, right? There was some yeah. metal coming out of there, too. Yeah. So, so that scene changed and that scene influenced other, but not every scene went beyond its borders not right away anyway so when you were djing in the 80s you had to worry about what was going on in your scene it wasn't nearly as homogenized because your scene might be different your local scene might be different than what's going on everywhere else sure you could do mtv you could do madonna and you can do cindy lauper and michael jackson and prince and everything else that mtv was showing you but then you might be doing something completely different that no one else is doing as well because of what's going on where you live. In my world, it was Violent Femmes. I was just going to say, it had to be Violent Femmes for you. But not only that, but it was Polka because of the German influence and not the German influence from Germany in the 80s. The German influence from the German immigrants that had gotten there 100 years ago and yeah. their families and their culture that had stuck around. Like the old German culture, we had a lot of that. And we yeah. had rock. You know, a lot Liberace. of stuff. Rockford, Illinois actually had a rock scene. Cheap trick. Yeah, but then they had uh, other bands that you don't know that we know. The Replacements? are They're, they're your neck of the woods, aren't they? Bad Boy was a big one. That was uh, and still, like, when there's, like, a rock thing that, that those people go. Some of the members of Bad Boy were original Cheap Trick members. Oh, okay. Yeah, Nazareth Bad Boy. was Rockford, Illinois. I mean... The, Nazareth, like I've heard of Nazareth. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that was a scene in Rockford, which is a nowhere place in Illinois. They still but, live there, by the way. The members of Cheap Trick. Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah. The big joke that a guy that I knew used to say is that if you go to Rockford, there's going to be a coming soon. The um, was it the Cheap Trick Hall of Fame kind of thing, and then there's an and the Nazareth Hall of Fame. Like it never gets built, but it's always under construction. Because that's just kind of how Rockford was. Nothing really happened. So they weren't able to build their Hall of Fames. Not a very funny joke, but that was his big joke when we were drinking heavily. But it was different in that regard. So, so what I was getting at with that, and the reason I was bringing all that up, is the way I find DJing so different now, besides the technology that we're using, you know, besides the lightweight stuff and the lights and all that, what sticks out to me more than anything else is... If I'm doing anything from a wedding to a club, it doesn't matter what. When people used to go to a club, they would walk in the door and they would be like, all right, this is what's going on tonight. I'm going to check it out. I'm, maybe I'm going to hear something I've never heard before. And I'm going to go with it because these people know it and I don't. Or they assume those people knew it. But the DJ was playing what the DJ was playing. They weren't doing a lot of requesting. No. Because DJs were the music programmers. The way that's different today is that everybody's doing their own programming. Spotify and all that, it's yeah. ruined it for a lot of people. Because they're like, well, oh, I already have my Spotify list. Why don't we just go with this? It's like, you're kind of missing the point. That's for not better or for worse, you know, some people are good programmers for audiences. Some people are good programmers for themselves. Some people aren't good programmers for themselves and don't even know it. But that has so heavily influenced our jobs as DJs where everybody's programming or everyone's trying to program the night according to what their Spotify list looks like. Have you, you've noticed that? Of course we've all. Oh yeah. That. Didn't used to be like that. No, the, you to, went, you went solely because the DJ was the God in the room that could take you on a journey. And even well, though they still technically do that, the DJ was there to break music. Like I, I, you know, I didn't DJ in the clubs, but I went to different clubs in the 80s. 
And I would leave there. And in hindsight, if I could have had, you know, Shazam back in the day, I used to have to leave the club and remember in my head what that the chorus was or the line was, and then go to a record store the next day and go up to the girl at the counter who was Hanging like, on the song that goes, da, 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 da. <laughs> we got this song last night, do, 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 do. What is had a girl singing and a guy. She's like, oh, that sounds like Utah Saints, or that sounds like this, or that sounds like that. It's like, yeah. oh, let me check it out. I mean, we didn't have the distraction of the internet. We didn't, our goal was music still brings me more joy than anything. And I have access to so much on the computer now, but I still miss the days of stumbling in. That's what I like about Twitch. It's like the 80s to me, because I can go to different rooms, which to me are different clubs, and hear something that I didn't expect to hear or I didn't know. But interesting and I think that's why the music knowledge of people in the 80s was better than today. I don't know if it was better or worse. I know that I was a geek about it because I was really into it. The, the one thing that I wanted to kind of back up on a little bit, you said when you go to a place, the DJ was kind of the god there. I always thought of more like the club was the church. Like that was the place where you went and that's the people you wanted to see. And, and that's the atmosphere you were comfortable with. It was everything. It was the people there. It was the atmosphere. The DJ. I remember one of my favorite clubs in the old days. I'll just say it like that. The DJ, I think his name was Tim. But, I mean, he wasn't like the focal point. You know, it was the music. You didn't even see the DJ. He was way up in the air in a booth. You had to try to find him and usually get through some kind of security to get to him because they didn't want anybody up there bothering him. It was a different vibe. Now the don't DJ know where is he like, is. That's describing God, Brian. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, it's not like you go there because of the DJ. You went there because you knew the club was good. Oh, right. But if the DJ stopped playing music, the fun and excitement of the club would die very quickly. The club I'm not were, just saying they were they were guiding the evening. Oftentimes, they would read the floor. Like learning how to read a crowd was watching a DJ. The difference between eleven and twelve at a club in the eighties was huge. Twelve was like all hell's breaking loose. Eleven o'clock was you're kind of ramping up, and I, I could that, tell. Did the crowd guide the DJ to get to twelve, or did the DJ knowingly come into it going, when we get to peak hour twelve? I am dropping this track and this place is going to explode. Well, I know that there were nights that I wanted to go and other nights where I, maybe I'd go and I wasn't as impressed. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the crowd that was there or the, or the DJ, but it was a combination of all of those things. Right. You had to have both. People were important and the music was also important. But, you know, the other thing that I want just the, the perception of what how important music was back then because it was very important with no internet uh video games were 8-bit you know <laughs> and you may have had uh the luxury of having a television set in your room as a kid with a video game set up next to it if you were into that not everyone was but some people were but there was always a radio or a stereo in there oh yeah boom box in my room till i was in my 20s but like that said, was the center point of the room. But I had a stereo. Even if you had video games, you were listening to music while you were playing them. Yeah. Like that was the big deal. Now, what is it? A desk where you maybe have your gaming computer, if you have that, or a yeah. place to set your laptop or but, a charging station. But Brian, the, the main difference that you haven't touched on, and very quickly, people today don't own music. I have well, two no, teenagers that, in the house. They don't own a song. Right. Everything they listen to is streamed through service. Like yeah. they don't even get when I show them the CDs in the, you know, huge plastic container out in the garage, and they go, "Why do you keep those?" I'm like, "Yeah, I may go back to CDs, and I, I, there's probably tracks I haven't burned yet. Yeah, but just get it online. Just go online. Like go online. Go online. I'm like, and you know, no, because this is different. Because trust me." I'll go online and it, I'll Shazam things and find it's not in print anymore. Yeah. I Shazam something on an old Anthony Bourdain, New Jersey episode. And you know what? I can't buy it. And it sounded amazing. And Shazam yeah. had it, but I can't go get it. 
You know that track, Jimmy, uh, that uh, Mocha Soul track that you like? Uh, yeah. I'm losing you. You can't download that anywhere. No, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I had to seek that. All you can do is rip it from uh, me. From, from YouTube. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, there's, there's no place to buy that. And- I bought this on Amazon last month because I had to have Hey Joe, their version of Hey Joe by Jimi Hendrix yeah. by a band called Common Sense from Orange County, California. And you know what happened? I couldn't get it on YouTube, iTunes, Amazon, but I could buy a CD. So I bought a CD for nine bucks. Greatest nine bucks I've spent this year. But you know, the difference between you and, and maybe your kids is that you know that you can actually go that route and it'll work. Oh, yeah. You, can, I, you know what? I just can't get it. You're like, you can, but you have to get it on this media. But the sad thing is, I know what it is. They don't. Yeah, yeah. They're only knowing what they're given. Like, they're not walking in the door with, you know, they go through their mumble rap period, so they look up mumble rap. They go through a house period. Connor's driving around with Yacht Rock playing. He's more into CCR and Skinner and Tom Petty than I ever was. Mm -hmm. And he's 19. So I'm like, good for you, kid. That's great music. Yeah. But I try to tell him, I'm like, hey, check it out. JoJo Gun. Check this out. Run, run, run. You got to hear this song. Ooh, check out Black Oak, Arkansas. Check out this track. And because I feel it's my job to educate anybody behind me that may not know the, the great music of the day. You know, we joke about things, you know, but the reality is there's a generation of people on this planet that if I drop a needle on 38 Special Hold On Loosely, they are awashed with memories of girls in high school. And those memories aren't going away because now they're in their 50s and 60s and beyond. In the 80s, I think that it was very much about now. It was less about the memories than it was in my world. But the music created the memories then, because that's an 80s. Now you have memories of it, yes. But at the time, it was about the now. I mean, that that was my observation in my world. It was about trying to stay current in every way. And it wasn't about a lot of going back. Going back was fine. There was some great stuff. But you know what? There was so much new stuff. There wasn't time to go back. Now I go back a lot because... I, I'm just not always getting the diet that I feel like I need with new music. I go back a lot. But if there was really good new music happening, I wouldn't be going back. Right. Anytime that there's been great music, I don't go back. I, I didn't go back in the 2000s because there was so much music that I was just in love with. I couldn't get enough. Yeah. I didn't have time to listen to all the great music that was coming out. So I wasn't, you know, reminiscing so much and, and going back to the old tracks. Uh, but when there's nothing going on, I can always go back. No, but I'm saying those old tracks now were the new tracks then. Well, of course they were. And they hit you like a hammer sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I remember asking people, like physically saying, like, hey, you know, what, what are you listening to? What do you got? What do you, you know, like you're trying to find weed on the street. Like, hey, man, mm-hmm. we got, you got anything? You got anything for me? You got anything? Just so I could expand. I remember going to a record store and buying the 12 inch album, the entire thing of Utopia. Feet Don't Fail Me Now, because I had to have a song called Libertine. Two minutes and like 40 seconds long. I think I spent 10 bucks, went home, dropped the needle, and then found the rest of the album was amazing too. But I bought it for two minutes and 40 seconds. We're going to have to do worth 10 bucks. We're going to have to do something about that shirt of yours. What's wrong with his shirt? The it's noise a, it makes every time he moves because he's very physical when he talks. Oh, this and shirt. It rubs against his collar. Oh, sorry. It's okay. I'll, I'll leave it out here. <laughs> no, I, I get think, really excited. It's funny. I think the way, the way you cultivated the music, you had the DJ in the club, you had the audience in the club, mm-hmm. and then you had, if you were lucky, you had a local station that you followed and then a college station that you followed. Oh, yeah, the college station is wonderful. Completely different. Mm-hmm. Like, that that's was, where you learned about REM and all that on a college that, station. That was one of the big differences, I think, in the city, because all those college stations, most of them were, were very low watt. I mean, you didn't get them you outside get them very of far. the campus. No. Some of them you, you might get citywide, but you wouldn't get them in the burbs, for instance. So no. the burbs, they were only soaking in the mainstream radio stations and MTV, that's what they got. But then the college radio stations were getting all this weird stuff. We had Emerson College where, like, you know, Jay Leno went, um, Dennis Leary went. A lot of comedians went to Emerson. It's a communication college. 
And they had a show on Fridays and then Sundays called Nasty Habits with Mike Jones. And he would play heavy metal. But he would play like Metallica, Fade to Black, before mm -hmm. anyone knew who Metallica was. Right. So he was doing that kind of stuff. And he held a residency every Wednesday at a club in Kenmore Square, Boston, called Narcissus. Because I worked at the Harvard Coop, and we were the number one music distributor in the state, maybe on the East Coast, because we had great buyers that were buying out of Europe. Every time the Coop would get metal, they would come give it to me. So I'd get all these clear cassette tapes, like early release clear cassettes. And I would go to see him and say, hey, you got the new Accept? He's like, yeah, it's not out till next month. And I'm like, and he would play it on Emerson Radio. Like the College Station would play a cassette that some idiot kid on a Wednesday night gave the DJ and then he gave it back to me the next week. You couldn't do that now. That's a, that's a 90s, early 2000. Now you put your own music out on your computer, on your own label. You're a star. You're big on TikTok. But the days of hustling music and actually having music go around a club, go around a scene, I think that's another point. You know, you guys made mixtapes. I made mixtapes for girls. Yeah, that's pretty like, much. I, I didn't, I didn't make, make them to sell them to, to. No, I never. I didn't go the Jimmy route where I was selling them to people at the club. I never did that. Right. But you could get music in your hand and physically give it to somebody else. I mean, yeah. all those metal bands got big because of fanzines where people would trade tapes. Now, my question to you is, was there a dance version of that? Because I knew of that in the 80s, throughout the 80s of underground metal. You know, Anthrax was trading tapes with people from New York to Boston. You would write a letter, put a stamp on it, put a Sazy self-addressed stamped envelope inside send it and you would get back a cassette was there that in the dance community i don't know that that existed it probably did but what i remember is well okay so a lot of my friends were a little older so i was having the college experience in dormitories and things well before i should have been in college you know in junior high school and high school i would go spend the weekends or whatever with my friends at college Jeez, in their dorms. It, was a, it was a john hughes movie or something junior high you're hanging out in dorms this is a john hughes i one. did that in sixth grade with my sister that's another oh, story so yeah we'll talk about that another show time. show off so i'm not showing off i'm trying show to tell off. you that that's where i was able to meet people from chicago who were bringing house records to school and that's how i was introduced to house music i was introduced to other artists through my friends who went to much like yourself an all boys school. I have a friend of mine, he went to Catholic seminary, Yeah, but he had a lot of the kids he went to seminary with were from Chicago and they were bringing up weird stuff yeah. like art of noise or whatever. That's like, what is this? And we were hearing it that way. And I believe that's how I first started hearing some of the freestyle, some of the stuff that I was hearing, like at skating rinks, for instance, was a lot of electro uh, Houdini, Jeez, okay, I don't know, Trinier, Debbie Deb, LA Dream Team, that kind of stuff. You didn't Lisa, hear it anywhere Lisa. else. Nowhere else did you hear that except skating rings. You know, so if you were a skater, you knew electro and freestyle. If you weren't right. a skater, you'd have to go to a freestyle Latin club to check that stuff out. And that's what Latin clubs were playing at the time, by the way. In my world, they weren't doing salsa merengue. They were doing freestyle. Right. So that that's just kind of how it was. Did and Oh, good. I was going to say, because um, I'll forget this point. Did your mm -hmm. clubs have a thing called private night? No, not a private night. Boston on Sundays or on a Thursday or a Wednesday, a lot of the bigger clubs would have what they, it would just say private event. And that was code for gay night. Oh. <laughs> so I found out, I bartended at, um, John will know this one, Avalon. Metro, Boston, Boston. I don't, I think it was Avalon when I was there on a Sunday. And it was like, what the hell is this? Like, where is this music coming from? We to the actually, point yeah. where I would, with some guys, be like, we got to go. It's a gay bar. I'm like, no, it's the club. It just happens to be a gay night. But we're going to hear the best music you've ever heard. We actually in Milwaukee have always had, as long as I've lived here anyway, a real solid gay club scene. 
Right. It, it, but I, I think when you're 22, it's easier and more palatable maybe or comfortable to feel like it's a club I normally go to, but tonight's a different audience than, hey, let's immerse ourselves in the culture and find out what they're doing. Because, yeah. you know what I mean? The, the big one in Milwaukee is it's still around and it's different owners. It's called Lacage. And, you know, every suburban kid thinks the place is called the LA Cage, like it's an LA club or something. But it's like Lacage La FO. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Jeffrey every, Dahmer, hang out yeah, there. All, all, the, all the suburban kids think it's the LA Cage. It's an LA based nightclub. There but you go. Anyway, I remember. I don't know when I was there one time when I was pretty young, I was talking to one of the, the managers and I, I, I had said the word gay club. He says, hold on a minute. No, we are a club. A lot of people here happen to be gay, but it's just a club. Yeah. That's why they didn't call it gay night. It was private event or private night, which is kind of yeah. disparaging in a way, instead of just saying mostly guys with guys. It was the same vibe though, because when you, when I would go to, Lacage, because I went to Lacage. I knew people who worked there and I had gay friends. I would go there. Right. It was amazing. I saw people at this club. I saw women at this club. Yeah. That I never saw at any other club. No. That they was also in our head. Gorgeous. That was and also in our head. Like, you know what? They're not leaving with any of these guys. So well, they, it, it was a safe place. And they're not leaving with this guy either. It was a safe place. Yeah, because nobody was going to bother them. They were yeah. there, you know, maybe they were models or something. I don't know, but they were just breathtakingly beautiful women. Yeah. That you didn't see at any other club at any other night. You yep. saw them there. Yep. So I would like, I, man, I met all kinds of women at these clubs. It was like shooting fish in a barrel because yep. they assumed that you were gay and then. Yeah, yep. another oh, story. you play that card. Yeah. Come home. And I didn't play the card. It, looks good it was me. always by accident. I was nice to everybody. But they were more open to talk to you. Yes. You'd say hi to them. They say hi back and they sit down and talk to you. You said hi to a pretty girl at a regular club. They think you were, oh, well, what's this guy want? He wants something from me and I'm not going to talk to you. Now, so Brian, you you, your opening line is, hey, excuse me, does this smell like chloroform? That's your <laughs> opening line. Their guard was down regardless. So they were more social. It was. Oh, nice. yeah. No, totally. It was kind of the same vibe you're talking about, but it was every night at these particular places. Oh, yeah. And that was through the 90s, too. And that I've DJed in the 90s in some of those clubs because of my affiliation with the hotel that uh -huh. I've told you about. And it was just, you know, like 14 straight years of doing New Year's Eve with up to 800 men in a room. And let me tell you, you want, you, you want to call yourself a DJ? I'll, I'll, I'll let you know if you're a DJ. One simple gig. Go DJ a gay night in a club. <laughs> You'll find out very effing fast if you're a DJ because you need to switch gears very quickly. You need to read the crowd very quickly and you need to be open-minded about I'm going down this road. Now I'm going to go here. And eventually when you're on point, then you take the club over. Yeah. Now they're all, you know, every place. Joyful. Every place has a different vibe. Every No one is bitching you out about, oh, dude, you got to play Drake next. Nope. No, you don't have that. Nope. But I mean, I, I wanted to just kind of, you know, hammer this point home about DJing in the 80s before we wrap the show. And, and that is, if I really had to tell you what the difference was between now and then as a DJ, be, aside from the equipment, forget about the equipment, forget about how I had to get music, forget about all those things. I really think that the, the big takeaway for me and the big difference that I experienced today is that my programming skills, which I feel like are strong, were more appreciated then than they are now because everybody wants to program now because they can do it on Spotify for themselves. So they think they're an expert at it, as did yes. I as a young DJ, thinking that I knew everything based on my personal taste. I'd play songs, they would fail, and then I would know, hey, wait a minute, you know what? Maybe that's not for everybody. Maybe that's just a me thing. Let me get into their heads and figure out what they want and play to that audience. I, I, I can't tell you how nice it was back then to be able to go into a room, a club, a party, know that the vibe was going to be freestyle, rock, top 40, new wave, whatever, 
and do it without anybody bothering you about it, without yeah. anybody challenging you or telling you that they can do a better job. No, that was nice. That was the cool thing about DJing in the eighties for me. What sucked about DJing in the eighties, the heavy stuff, trying to locate things in a pinch, spending several hours out of your day every week going to different record stores and flipping through things and read, which I like to do, but I'm not obligated to do it anymore. It was cool to do it, but I don't have to do it now. So it's nice that I don't have to do it. It's nice that I did have the experience of doing it though. So I, I think there's something to be said for having it all in front of you. It's, and I use the chef DJ analogy all the time and the metaphor and, you know, it's the, if you gave me and a master chef the same ingredients, the same kitchen, the same pan, everything the same with the same exact recipe, do you really believe my dish would taste as good? And if you do, then I think that's the illusion, you know, it's a little bit delusional. But now with music, what I enjoy, and I, I not showing off, I got hired today by a new client for October 22nd of this year. And they were, he was adamant about, you know, in the beginning, we want something maybe like for cocktail. We're thinking something like like EDM, but like chillish. I'm like, oh, some down tempo like this. And I named like five out. Yes, that's we love that. Perfect. Then let's do this for dinner. And let's and I'm trying to create. And he's like, OK, this is exactly what I what I was hoping for. Right. We know what we want, but we're not sure what it is. That's cool. And And that's the beauty of it, where you can come in and be like, you know, over the weekend, I shazammed 100 songs. I went and saw the videos. I went and bought a few of them. And now I've got new ammo in my arsenal. Right. Now I've got something new I can play to for you and go, oh, that's perfect. What is that? Oh, that's this. Before, you really couldn't go out of your way to start grabbing vinyls. And, and plus, you didn't have a cell phone. So it wasn't like, yeah. you know. You got lucky. But, you know, there, there was something to be said for you know, necessity being the mother of invention when you were in a spot and you only had what you had to work with in front of you, but you knew what it was Yeah, and you made it happen. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think that's real difference between now and then is really understanding what's in front of you. You got a lot more in front of you now, but even myself. Or isn't always better. Well, not only that, but you don't really know what it is. Right. Yeah. If you don't know what you, yeah. you don't really know. Yeah. You can drive a car, but it doesn't mean you can drive a Lamborghini well. When you had to go to the store on a, on a Tuesday and find this and talk to a clerk and talk to some other people to figure out what you actually were looking for and what the title was and what mix you needed and everything else, you knew what you had. Yeah. <laughs> when you had money spent on it, you invested that much time to find it. I mean, you knew what you had. 90s, going to swap meets to pick up CDs and get soundtracks because you weren't getting that in vogue song unless you bought the soundtrack. You weren't getting, you know, the Queen's right track unless you bought Ford Fairlane. You, you, you know, I wanted to mention that. That's a good point. Yeah. And before we wrap the show, that was just one other thing that I thought was weird in the 80s that you don't see anymore. And that is they used to break songs on movie soundtracks. Four films, original songs, four films were on the charts. It was made for this movie. It was made for Footloose. It was made for Purple Rain. It was made for Vision Quest. Against or, all odds. Yeah, against all odds. Yeah, exactly. It, which wasn't a great film, but it was a great song. Great soundtrack. Yeah, but just the songs no, did like, really well. The yeah. songs promoted the movie. Exactly. So there was, I mean, what Footloose. Right. Look at the hits that came off of that oh my soundtrack. Gosh. And they were made for the movie. Right. The Kenny Loggins, um, I'm Free. I think that's like the most underrated song in the soundtrack. It's a great tune. That's an awesome song. You know, my, my, for, my jam off of that one boys. is still, my, my jam off of that one is still Dancing in the Sheets Shalimar. That's a great track. But I mean, it's there's like seven great songs yeah. in that movie. Oh, yeah. And the thing with Fantastic. Fort Fairlane was Queensryche released... Last night in Paris. Well, guess what? That's not on an album. I don't think oh, Billy Idol's Cradle of Love is on an album. Either. No, it's not. That's another one. You the had other... to go buy that soundtrack. It was a great way of diverting money. It's like when they came out with the singles, and you're like, I already, ha I, I could just buy the cassette. This one has an acoustic version on the backside. Oh, an amazing soundtrack was Bright Lights, Big City, which 
was not a very good film. I, I, I didn't like it. Kiefer Sutherland, Michael J. Fox, it overpromised and underdelivered. But the soundtrack, you got Mars pump up the volume, which there was no album for. You get this, you get the 12 inch single, or you can buy that. Prince's Good Love, which appeared on nothing else that Prince did. Uh, Brian Ferry Kiss and Tell. Yep. Which was on his Bet Noir. I will say that. Was it? Yeah, that did get released on Bet Noir, but it didn't get released until after. Until later. Yeah. yeah. They broke the single on the Bright Lights Big Single. Well, the movie I, I have up, a couple copies of it. What is it? Is it. Um, what's the movie with. Um, oh, shoot. The guy that was like in everything for a little while. He's kind of dorky. Christian Slater, oh, where he plays the DJ. Pump up the volume. Pump up the volume. And one of the tracks is um, Concrete Blonde, Everybody Knows. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, literally, I heard this that in the movie. I'm like, really right out. down. You pitched it down huge when he was playing it in the movie. I remember that. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, need to buy this. Need, mm-hmm. oh, need to buy that. And the best way you could sell something was to say it's only available on. Right. And we ran. Well, I mean, Brian, look at the difference. We, they were talking about Tower Records in L.A. And they were showing highlights of the past. Right. When albums would drop at midnight, Tower would open and only sell that. Yeah. They had a line for like a mile when Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 broke. Oh, and you could stand in line, buy them, and walk out with two CDs in your hand and then run to your car, rip them open, and shove them in the radio. <laughs> right. Like, and everyone's like, what's on it? Well, you know that song, You Could Be Mine from Terminator 2? Yeah, that's on this one. Oh, 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 I want that. Well, have you heard of Strange yet? No. Oh, then get the other one too. Oh, I'll get both. I would, I would do that. Let's see. I did it for a couple of Madonna albums. Lenny Kravitz, I was in line for Lenny Kravitz stuff. And the Prince stuff I get in line for. It, it but just, tell that to a 23, 24, 30-year-old DJ today that only knows the digital realm. Yeah. Just imagine, well, the other day, we're talking about Yukon Jack and the Chill Room last night. Like, I drank that in college once in 83, standing in February 1983, standing in line outside the Boston Garden to buy tickets to see Aerosmith. Because if you stood in line when the ticket booth opened the next morning at 6 a.m., you could get better seats. Because, again, we didn't have the Internet. We couldn't get on the phone. Just going back a a little bit before we, we close that section out and we wrap the show, I was talking about the movie soundtracks that were built around new song. Like they built, uh, they take a movie and you build songs around the movie where now it's a lot of retro stuff. It's songs that have already existed that go on the soundtrack. Guardians. Guardians of the galaxy is a Guardians, really good yeah. example of that. I can't think of a song that's like, Oh, that's from the movie. Uh, it's a new song. The last one I can think of that was like that, that was like an original song that really grew legs. Of all things, was was Frozen's "Let It Go." That's the last one I could think of. Disney did it a little bit. Sometimes yeah. they do it with like Rascal Flatts' "Life Is a Highway," which is a remake of a Tom. Cochran remake song. of a Tom Cochran, yeah. Uh, Smash Mouth did it with "I'm a Believer." There remake are some things movies. like that, yeah. But it, that's Disney. But they're not writing Everybody. the song for the movie. Well, you know what? I I think I told you that night that I mentioned the Scritty Politi because of the key yeah. change from Tim Pierce, and I mentioned. Yeah, he does the mandolin and the slide solo on Iris. Yeah, we were having that. And we were talking about how they screened the movie and they had Alanis Morissette and Johnny, can't remember his last name, from Goo Goo Dolls, watch the screening. Right. And say, hey, go back to your hotels. Let us know if you have anything. And the next day, there's a cassette demo where Johnny plays the entire song of Iris. Right. Give up forever to to touch you to you know just like For goes sure. through the whole thing. Alanis Morissette did um was it thank you uninvited. or um, uninvited? Like that was a thing then. Mm-hmm. They took talent and said, "Here's a visual. What do you got?" Now it's like, okay, what was a hit in 1972? Let's take the same chord change, same key, tune it down one step. You write a rap over it. I'll put an 808 on top of it. Look, number one hit. Well. I mean, no one wants to hear me close the set with this, but that's no, why today the I music isn't don't. as good as the music was then. Well, that isn't. Really, yeah. Well, that, we should have a show where we battle number ones from 2010 to 22, and 1980 to 1990, and just see by audience participation. Who's that kid who's always trying to impress me? What's his name? 
that DJ, so, that 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 kid who's always trying to. Uh, uh, I'm not saying his name. No, the you know what I'm talking guy. about. Yeah, I know. You're yeah, not. he challenged me to that one time. Did he really? Oh yeah. He and and I'm like, okay, give, give me the year. Give me He's the year pre 2011 or pre 2010, and you take any year you want, and and I'll challenge you. He took 2011. He gave me 1993, and I still smoked him. 93 was a weak year. 93 was a very weak year. Anyway, that's still it, guys. Like music. Thanks so much for watching. I don't know what John's going to call the show or what what we're. Yeah. 93 was a weak year. Um, Hopefully, cause it's something to do with like that four minutes of the topic, which was DJing in the 80s. Comma, um, whatever Jay says. I'm going to share a song with you. Okay. Don't get us taken. Don't down. play it. Don't play it. No, 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 no. Turn it off. We're recording. Don't yeah, flag Jimmy. Don't flag us. Don't flag us. You can't do it. We're not going to do that. You off. just said goodbye. No, I haven't not. logged off yet. I'm trying to say off. goodbye. Okay. Wow, Never Jimmy. Mind. Learn the rules. Chase. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.